0: Welcome to Systems Talk. I'm Dr. Christy Hilton from Keep Indiana Learning. I'm excited to connect you with leaders in education who are passionate about growing their leadership and their schools. Effective schools have effective systems in place, and we are here to help you do just that. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Systems Talk. Our Systems Talk moderator, Dr. Rhonda Rose, focuses on the importance and essential need for systems within schools so that safety is alive and well for all staff members. In this episode, Rhonda interviews educational consultants and authors Sarah Henry and Carrie Rosebrock. Their book, Arrows, shares the story of how a local school district has created and sustained a system-based approach to school leadership.
1: Okay, welcome to Systems Talk. And today we're very happy that the name of our system or what we're going to be discussing today is there's safety in systems. Today we have with us, and I'm so excited, authors Carrie Rosebrock and Sarah Henry. So before we even get started, ladies, about talking with safety in systems, why don't each of you share with us a little bit about yourselves? Carrie, we'll start with you. Okay.
2: I thank you for having me, Rhonda. We're super excited to be here. Um, I am now, I guess I call myself a district alignment coach. I think that's the most fitting title for the work I'm doing. Um, I currently work with um, schools mostly around the state of Indiana, mostly district teams. And it's a lot of work related to our book, Arrows. And the goal is really to help um, leaders align their systems specifically around PLC processes so that teachers can feel safe and knowing what's expected um, and knowing how they can best meet the needs of their students. Before I entered that role, I spent two years as a learning specialist at the CIESC and Keep Indiana Learning, so it's really exciting for me to be back or to be on this podcast and then I spent 13 years as an educator and then administrator in Brownsburg, Indiana. And that is really where Sarah and I connected. So I'll let Sarah take it from here.
3: Okay. All right. Well, hi. Um, yeah. So Carrie and I actually um, were teachers together um, at a middle school and we were on the same team. She was my brand new English teacher. Um, so it's been fun to work alongside her. Um but also a little bit of that mentoring early on. So that was fun. Um, We both ended up in the secondary department head role, like she just, how she described earlier, um, really curriculum and, and management of everything aligned to our department. So I'm still kind of in the the weeds of helping Brownsburg continue the systems that we have and, and doing that work.
1: Well, we we're excited. And I, I know that this conversation can be a very meaningful one for for principals and leaders listening in. Okay, ladies, I think you both know I am a firm believer in systems, and that's why, you know, the title of this podcast is Systems Talk. We know that the main system that schools need to have embedded in place is this academic core that we know answers the four questions of a PLC, what are kids learning? How do we know? What do we do if they're not getting it, etc.? So I was very intrigued when I saw something you all had written where you had said systems create safety. I'd love to hear more about that.
3: I think um, systems create safety. We think especially, I mean, gosh, during the last few years with everything with COVID, uh, we've really seen how it's it's created a safety in that we know what to expect. Uh, we have um, our procedures and our focus and our um, our time is used efficiently towards those things instead of being pulled a lot of different ways. I think the systems help with clarifying things for people. And when there's more clarity, they're going to be more comfortable. Um, so it's kind of like uh, if you liken it to a classroom teacher where, you know, you want to create systems for how your students are going to turn things in or how they're going to be safe in your classroom. And, and by doing those things, then, um, your students are safe and they're able to learn. And so really it's that same idea, but take it, you know, bird's eye view, looking at a whole school district.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think for, for me, as I, uh, one of my, one of the most interesting pieces for me in the past two years <coughs> Transitioning from leaving in Brownsburg to helping other school systems either refine their systems or create theirs is this this need for safety. As humans, you know, our brains are wired to actually want to be lazy, right? We, We don't want, our brains don't want to be using a bunch of hard work, making all kinds of unknown decisions every single day. And so when we're talking with teams about putting some systems and processes in place and helping to change mindsets and outcomes of hundreds or thousands of teachers, Mm -hmm. it's important that those leadership teams realize the system is not just about accountability. The system is actually this thing that our brains crave and your teachers are gonna crave it and thrive in it once they've got it. They're not gonna have to spend all their time and energy figuring out what's this year's initiative what's this year's focus they know so they don't have to ask that question so instead they can ask really good questions about their instructional practices or what do we do for this student and they can ask the the more relevant questions to learning versus how do i learn this new system and um, that's been a really fun thing i think um in, in exploring to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, we, we referenced John Cronapple and Dr. Floyd Cobb often, they are two authors um, of a really great book called Belonging Through a Culture of Dignity. And they really talk about how you can't do, you know, any kind of equity related work. Um, if you also don't have, you know, systems in place where people feel, safe and like they belong and and so that's been a really interesting piece. I know Sarah and I talk a lot about um, that need for safety for all teachers a lot when we're working with our with our teams.
3: Mm-hmm. I think it also ties into decision fatigue and the more you know as we're as we're seeing teachers question uh, the longevity in this career, I think the less you know decisions they have to make where they can really focus on the work that they went into, Um, education for, that is going to also help us um, keep the good educators that we already have.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that, um, you know, systems create clarity for teachers Mm -hmm. and administrators. And a quote that I love to always share is that, you know, clarity is the antidote to anxiety for people. Mm-hmm. And I, Carrie, I think it was you. I saw you had quoted, uh, maybe this was on Twitter, but James Clear. What is it that he says? Something about quit making goals, get your yes. systems in place or something. Uh yes.
2: yes. I, I'm rereading Atomic Habits. One of my yes. best friends was talking, and I was like, I need to read that again. Yes. Um I love reading nonfiction. I'm, I'm former English teacher, but I love nonfiction. And he says, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Yes.
1: Oh, I love that. Very, very true. And, um, wait, now you just made me think of something else right there. Oh, because I'm a nonfiction reader too, as a former English teacher. But um, if you've read Checklist Manifesto, tool Gawande, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, but in Checklist Manifesto, tool, Atul, A-T-U-L, all right? He tells this story of creating checklists, which I'm going to use interchangeably with our word systems, okay? So he's a surgeon. And he created a checklist for the surgical unit. Now, it upset nurses. It upset mainly the physicians, all right, that they would have to stop. And before the surgery actually took place, they all stood together in a circle and went down the checklist to make sure boom, 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 boom. Everything is in place and aligned and ready to go. Well, now it's called the safe surgery checklist, I think. And it resulted in 47% decrease in the number of surgical mishaps. Okay. So systems or checklist, I think it, oh, it just absolutely provides safety. Even though, do you all find this in the beginning when teachers begin to realize like, uh, uh, oh, we're really getting tight now in our systems. This is the way we do things. Then it becomes clearer because the data begins to show where kids are learning and where they're not. And at first, I always experience a little bit of pushback and fear from teachers. But once they realize that it's all about these building relationships, et cetera. So once we understand, hey, kids aren't doing well there, we're going to work together. It's not a gotcha, but it's a system for lifting the organization. So don't you think some pushback comes, but then leadership can lead that into beautiful ways of working. I would agree. I think leaders,
3: you have to be vulnerable in the situations yourself. And share your own data, and and almost purposely share data that maybe isn't so flattering, so that you're able to show that you make mistakes too, and that and how you're going to learn from it. Um, I think leaders can guide the teachers, and again, create that that culture of safety by being more vulnerable themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, there's absolutely um, there. <laughs> this this past fall it was interesting november hit and it was like a lot of my teams and a lot of my leaders i'm working with like we had a lot of a lot of coaching calls because they felt like things were going well and then they realized okay wait a minute our teachers are starting to st- struggle with what do we do i've tried all the tools in my toolbox i don't know what else to do or we don't know how to have this conversation differently and it's that productive struggle that we have as adults now, um, and it's and it's not easy. And so, as a leader, when we work with teams, we always talk about how this work is hard because people are messy. And so, even your rock stars who may buy in and they're all on board and they've got the vision and they see it clearly, like you've got to be prepared as a school leader to have um, your heart open to wrap around your people when they start saying my feelings got hurt, or we don't know what to do, or I'm frustrated. That's, that's all normal. And there's no way out but through it. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it's we as teachers who have to be empowered to make the decision. So as leaders, we have to help them through the struggle, but keep them empowered to, to ultimately get through it, to make the decisions, to respond to what their students need.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah I think Carrie, I it's
2: that. almost
3: like they have to celebrate the struggle. know like you celebrate your small wins but you also have to celebrate that hard stuff too that it's great that was great i heard some really um some really heated conversations today you know knowing that they're having those hard conversations and acknowledging that i think is important too
1: well and i think sarah to go along with that carrie it's what you just said this is a very critical part for leaders for principals Carrie, when you said, you know, we've got to wrap our hearts around them and that has to be genuine. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
1: there is no gotcha. It's okay, this is hard. Let's struggle in it a while, move through it, and we're going to get to the other side. But that wrapping your heart around them, I think we can't emphasize that enough. Um, Okay, let's go here. Um, I know that you all say that when and how you collect data, really does matter. So what do you mean about that? I think um, oftentimes
3: when we're collecting data, um, our minds go directly towards things that are summative in nature and larger in nature. And so we tend to want to look at a unit test or um, the I-STEP when the conversations that really make the change are the little conversations during the work where if we wait to those big end data points, um, we can make reflections and fix things for next year. But really at that point, we're in an autopsy for our students. So the data that really matters are those small formative assessments that the teachers are creating together that are aligned with the, no- the depth and knowledge of the standard and that they're able to um, ask those at those critical transition points in their lesson when they're moving from guided practice to independent practice mm-hmm. to make sure that kids are ready to move on and to gather that data from all of their students. That's the data that allows you to then go back to your team, your PLC and say, okay, here's what I tried. I still am not reaching this kiddo What way did you teach it? And that's really where that professional learning comes in. So that's really what we mean by that. We want that. We want that checkup data. That's going to really show the quickest gains versus that autopsy data. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that often in this work, too, there's just there's a glut of data and teachers get (laughs) they get bogged down, rightfully so, in. I don't, we don't know what to actually look at. Like we don't actually know what's going to guide us. And so we're constantly coaching our teams that assessment doesn't equal test. Mm -hmm. That, that real in time, in the midst of a lesson, in the middle of the week, in the middle of the unit, chucks for understanding. That's what we're talking about. So how can teachers have conversations together where you know, if the three of us were a PLC, okay, Rhonda, how do you normally like check and see where the kids are at this point in the lesson? Or what are some questions you tend to ask now? Okay. What's the most engaging way we can ask that? Or do we need to ask this a whole group? Is this something that we save? Like Sarah was just talking about for independent work time. And then we can flexibly group teachers, but our, I, if If you're always looking at too many big sources of data with too many skills and too many standards, it's like, you know, I ate a bunch of junk food this past weekend. I don't know if it was the pizza or the ice cream that tipped me over the edge. You know, it's like, no, (laughs) you've got to do smaller pieces and smaller chunks. The other thing that I think is super important is that, you know, sometimes you're really quick when you talk about data to think pre and post test. And I just don't know how effective those always are, to be honest. I think it's another form of big data that we're collecting when mm-hmm. there are some real missed opportunities in our instruction to activate students' prior knowledge,
0: mm-hmm. rather
2: than giving them a pretest at the beginning of mm-hmm. every unit. Mm-hmm. Maybe it maybe it serves a purpose for some units, but mm-hmm. rather than doing that at the beginning of every unit or every course, how can we do a better job? of kind of preheating the oven is the term I've started using with teams, you know, and teachers to give our students a chance to connect to things that they know or to make life connections. Um, You know, kids bring a wide variety of knowledge and experiences and background to the table. If we want to make safe, honorable spaces for each of them, then we have to save space for them to talk about what they know and talk about their experiences and Mm -hmm. We can do that at the beginning of every learning experience, every unit, every lesson, if we view students' experience as usable data. That's another kind of data we can Mm -hmm. be using.
1: Yes, if we view it as usable data and if we deem it worthy data. Yes. Sometimes I think we've got some work there to understand it's so worthy of our time to bring all of those experiences in. One thing you all are both reminding me of is even, yes, we're collecting this data as we go through the unit or the quarter. And a mistake that I made as a principal was, okay, so let's say we're at the end of the quarter and we've done our CFA. And maybe there are three or four areas where we just, you know, bombed. Okay. (laughs) I was in this mode of wanting to fix everything So we were trying to fix too much. So then to come back and hone in on one particular skill. And sometimes you all, in my experience, let's say I've got three or four teachers at a grade level teaching this specific concept. None of us did well, right? None of us. So then there's the really tough work of researching how do people teach this, right? Getting online and reaching out. And it is, and I think this is why some Teachers and leaders quit in the process. It's hard. It's very hard, but there are always answers out there. And once they latch on to that new way of instruction, uh, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. I think you have to, to your point, you
2: have to be willing to ask those tough questions. How do people Somebody out there has to know some nuances of how to teach this skill and how to break it down. Yeah. And if you never get to the point in a PLC conversation where your teachers can talk about really specific details of how they structure parts of their lessons or mini lessons or small group time, if they're never getting to share the details, Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. never actually getting to learn how. We really do things. The way I say a small, oh, I use small groups, Sarah. Oh, I use small groups too. You're our principal, you can come in both of our rooms. Sarah might be highly effective, and I might be struggling. So, you know, you have to really give our teachers, they need permission to share in detail what's going yeah, on. Sure. And they need to ask each other. Yes. Tell me more. Yes. Well, that's a statement, but
1: They they need to ask each other for more details. So yeah, will you tell me more? That way we could pose that question. Yes, I love that. So, Sarah, when we talk about, I know it's important to you all that there is consistency in leadership alignment. That having that consistency is key. Um, You know why is that so important?
3: I think that one of the kind of big things we talk about in the book is this idea of purposeful redundancy and how, and then we see it with students. We, I mean, we've all seen it where I, sometimes I might need to say it 10 times in person through email in a one-on-one conversation, you know, and just reiterating that same message. And so, especially if you're looking at a district level, if we aren't taking the time to pull the leadership team together to make sure we aren't consistent in our understandings, then the messages that are going out to the people aren't going to be in line. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other thing is it's important that we're inspecting what it is we expect of the teachers. So if we aren't constantly meeting and looking to grow ourselves and deciding what is the thing that we need to give feedback on, Um, again, the more that we're in line, the more we line our arrows, like we talk about in the book, it's just kind of like the snowball effect. Um, If we're all on the same page and we're purposely repeating that same identical message and following through on it, then the snowballs into uh, an even more action at a quicker rate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: So you're saying Sarah, in order to be fair to teachers, they need to hear a consistent message from their leaders. Right. Yes. Otherwise it's it's harming them. It's confusing to them. It's really not a system.
3: Well, yeah. and it goes back to the we need the clarity for the comfort.
1: Yeah.
3: Right. And uh-huh. so if we aren't clarifying our message constantly with the admin, then that message isn't going to be clarified when it goes out um, to the staff. And so then well, wait a minute. I thought you said it was this way, but now it's this way. Mm-hmm. So then the safety starts to go away. And
1: mm-hmm. Carrie, what would you add to those thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of power in calibrating practices like Sarah was describing, and that's a way that our leaders grow and become a PLC. You know, Mm -hmm. there are a, a million and one things on a building principal or leaders plates every single day. And so sometimes you need that consistency. And dedicated time where you know you're going to be together with the other building principals or the leadership team in your district to ask clarifying questions of each other. Uh You know, educators want to do the right thing. We where we are pleasers. We are good people, um, and we typically don't just say, "Nah, I don't want to do that thing." Usually, it's it's a lack of clarity. So, Mm -hmm. when the leaders have time and space and a short list of non-negotiable focus items, arrows is what we would call them, that they work on every single year, they know these are this is the short list of things we need to calibrate and stay aligned on. It's very much like how we we ask our teachers to have a common scope and sequence. You know, if I have six third grade teachers and they're all teaching whatever they want in whatever order. How is that an equitable experience for students? Mm-hmm. If I've got six different elementary building principals and they're all running different systems and there's nothing common, how is that a safe and equitable experience for the adults in these buildings? We have shared staff often in our districts that go between the buildings. Mm -hmm. They see very quickly how not calibrated or aligned, you know, leadership teams are Mm -hmm. just like as a principal, when you walk into different classrooms, you can see, okay, are we following a similar pace or not? So I think all those pieces add together to create the clarity and, and growth ultimately for our, for our leaders as well.
1: Yes. And If we were to have any principals listening who are working on creating these systems and alignment, I think it's important, you know, for them to know, because as it was for me in the beginning, it was just me as a leader in my school. And I had one friend at the time I was in New Albany, Floyd County, and had one friend in Indiana. And we'd gone to a PLC conference with Rick and Becky DeFore. I hate to tell you the year because it was so long ago. It was 1998, okay? We were forever changed from that moment. So even though my district at the time wasn't aligning, I was in cahoots with my friend in Indy as she was trying to align her school because you can do it. You don't have to wait for your district. You can do this work right within your building as a leader with your leadership team and and principles. So, okay, let's go here. Why do you think it is, Carrie, that, you know, principals or even the entire leadership teams, they start this process or pieces of it, you know, but then they just stop. Why is that?
2: Well, Sarah said it earlier. It's really hard, and we need to normalize and celebrate that hard. And I think sometimes we stop because it's, this is all about people. And, you know, it is much easier to make a plan than it is to consistently coach the people Mm -hmm. as they're trying to understand and implement the plan. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's
2: just every single person has value and respect and dignity and a whole bunch of different emotions that they bring to the table and a whole unique style of how they want to collaborate or not with their colleagues. And so I think it really can, it can wear on teachers mm-hmm. if they're not in a team that just is rainbow and sunshines and magic right away, they can think they're doing something wrong and it can wear on the leaders in trying to figure out how do I best help my people and, um, Better understand each other because that's it's a difficult skill set of leading and loving
1: people. Mm-hmm. It ju- it just is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what would you add to that? Why would do just people think, stop?
3: I would completely agree, one hundred percent, with Carrie. Said it's it, it's hard work. It's it's mentally draining, but it's also the most rewarding.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: so I think. Um, as a leader, you have to really reflect on the question of what's more important to you, the people or or the programs that you're trying to keep running. And my gut would say most educators would come to the conclusion that it's the people. And so knowing that in order to focus on the people, you have to do the tough work. Um, And if we do the tough work with our staff, um, then we can start to have them model that for our students. You know, it's going to trickle down you know, we expect teachers to teach all these values and things to our students, but, uh, we also don't usually spend the time to actually like coach them even within their adult conversations. And so, um, I would completely agree. I think again, like we talk about in the book, it's, um, uh, you definitely have to prioritize the people over the programs.
1: Yes. Yes. I, <clears throat> you all are making me think back a lot, but, um, when we think about the people, here's one, one instance here. We were trying to work on our um, reading skills, especially guided groups. And so our elementary, um, I think there were nine different elementaries, had aligned. Teachers at the time were using all different kinds of ways to do guided groups. So they aligned around one. Okay, it happened to be one particular program. So everybody could use that. So the, the literacy blocked. Was aligned, we were talking the same language, etc. So then it was my role as the district leader to bring that on up into the middle schools. And I think it was the hardest work I ever did. Because once you hit seventh and eighth grade, then we were learning how to do guided groups aligned. Okay, so here's where I boo booed. Some of the fifth and sixth grade teachers, I didn't spend enough time with them as people to have the conversations of why we're back to Simon Sinek's work, right? Why we're all changing or not everybody, but a few of us to this new program, because then they thought they'd been doing bad work for years, which they hadn't, but I needed to spend more time so that they knew, no, we're all going to go this way to talk the same language, use the same little assessments, et cetera. So Sarah, when you say it is people, and not programs. And it's a lot of time on the leader to talk people through that and build relationships with them while you're doing it. Yeah. So, Um, Oh, gosh, I love all this stuff. And I'm looking at our clock. Where does our time go so quickly? But I want to go here. This podcast will air um, in January. So it's a new semester, a new 90 days of getting stuff done and aligning all of our systems. So um, it's been very difficult on leaders in buildings and on teachers. So would each of you mind to share just a few encouraging words of your own? to principals, to district leaders, um, just what are some encouraging words that you would give him, give them in this January and a new beginning?
2: You
3: want to go first, Carrie?
1: Uh, Sure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I would say first and foremost, you are doing a good job, but beyond you're doing a good job, you have a good heart. I think that that's to our building leaders, and then that's also to any of our teachers. And they, um, as educators, so much of this is hard work right now, and it's supposed to be. We are in this profession because we love people. We love kids. We want to make a difference in our society. We are big-hearted people, and so I just want to encourage the leaders to know You might have hard conversations. Your teachers might be frustrated. They might be overwhelmed. They're all the things. They have good, big hearts and you have a good, big heart. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. I think um, I would offer just the reminder of that. We're all humans too. (laughs) We're not wonder people. And um, that really, all we can ask of anybody is that we're bringing the best we have to offer that day. Um, so when things are tough, you know, today might not be the best day ever in my education career, but I'm bringing the best I I have to offer. I think educators, we tend to make it seem like somehow we're supposed to not have to feel the, the stress and the things. Um, I think it more in the leader side of things, I would say to make sure you're assuming positive intent, um, because when things, when you're trying to change and you're trying to do these things, the reaction that people will have isn't necessarily representative of where their heart is at. Um, and then I think finally, Kieran and I were actually talking about this the other day. I had a teacher tell me that, um, one thing they respected about me is that I have professional empathy and that other leaders don't tend to have that. And so I've really been kind of like dissecting that and what that means And I think it's, you know, I have high expectations, but I also have the reality of life, you know, Mm -hmm. where um, today maybe wasn't your best day because your dog died. Mm -hmm. Great. My cat died yesterday. I get it. You know, just kind of that mentality of um, being able to empathize that people sometimes have things going on. Um, so I think that is probably a big thing too, that they should reflect on as if they're portraying that.
1: Yeah. Oh, and your answers tie together so beautifully because, you know, Carrie, when you said, I jotted this down, people right now are going through all the things I put Mm -hmm. that in air quotes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Everything that leaders and teachers have come through this pandemic, and we're not over. I think some of the work of maybe it was Amy Cuddy on, we're in the rebuilding phase, and it might be the most difficult phase of all for teachers and leaders, but Sarah, I really like the way you put that, but just continuing to have, you know, positive intent. That kind of reminded me of, I think it was Brene Brown, you know, on her braving, and she has that acronym, BRAVING, and the G for generous are to give your people the most generous interpretation of their actions or comments. Mm-hmm. And that's one I know I have to continually work on instead of getting my feelings hurt or upset with somebody, just giving generous interpretations or positive intent. Okay. Okay. Well, friends, we could keep talking about this forever. There (laughs) is safety in systems. We all believe it so much. So let's close out on this note. Carrie, we're going to attach three different resources. I think there's a video with you from Keep Indiana Learning and Sarah, one with Sarah. And then there are resources that the title of your all's book is Arrows. So is there anything, Carrie, that you want to mention about those resources at all? I
2: would just say um, keep Indiana Learning has an oh, gosh oh. a wealth of free short awesome videos from educators all all around the state of Indiana. Now um, you can search for different topics. I know that Sarah and I each have you know a, a variety of. Videos that would be related to specific aspects of the PLC process, but then also some specific aspects to our content areas as well. Um, but, you know, though there are really, really great tools there. There are, there are blogs, there's there's podcasts, you can find everything there. So the team is doing such an amazing job. Um, if you were to visit the our website for our book, it's www.alignyourarrows.com. And we have several different free resources that teams and, you know, leaders can use as they're starting to develop these processes or reflect on processes with their teachers. And so there are just uh, several free resources there. And then Sarah and I each also have our own websites with resources on them as well.
1: So that's great. And they can get um, the way to reach out to you from that website right there. Right, Carrie the arrows website um, arrows
2: will just take people to the book. If you'd like to reach out, I'll say mine, uh, Sarah, and then I'll toss it over to you. If you'd like to reach out to me, this is Carrie speaking. Um, you can get to my website. It's just Carrie Rosebrock, C-A-R-R-I-E, R-O-S-E-B-R-O-C-K C-A-R-R-I-E um, R-O-S-E-B-R-O-C-K.com. And you can email me there. People find me on social media and, and connect with me there as well. Sarah, how can people reach you?
3: Yeah, I think probably the website would be easiest. So mine is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, D, Henry, H-E-N-R-Y.com. And there's a, a spot for you can fill out uh, if you would like us to reach out as well.
1: Okay. Well, this was so awesome Friends, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast for Systems Talk, this episode. And I can't wait to reconnect with you again soon. So thank you so much. Thank you, you, Rhonda. Okay, bye-bye.
0: This has been Systems Talk, a production of Keep Indiana Learning. There's so much more at keepindianalearning.org. Connect with Indiana educators in our Keep Indiana Learning Facebook group and follow us on Twitter TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube for more innovative learning opportunities. Please join us on Thursday, February 3rd, 2022 for episode five, where Dr. Rose interviews principal Dr. Jeremy Coleman, where he will share how he has built a system of growth mindset in his school.